welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we made it to our season preview. This is our fifth one. Can you believe that? I It's a half a decade. We've been, uh, you know, it's probably not totally half a decade, but we're getting pretty close to uh, having recorded this podcast for that long. It's pretty unbelievable. Why don't you give us the cheers and get us kicked off? Well, I'm not going to pat us on the back, but I'll I'll pat all of our listeners uh, that put up with our shenanigans during the off season every week and during the off season or on season every week and during the off season. Uh, you know, whenever we can record, uh, everybody that's stuck with us, people that have joined new and uh, the original listeners. So, how about? Cheers to five years of uh, of doing this podcast in our fifth season that we're getting ready to preview. I'm so happy it's here. We've had a long off season to say the least, and uh, now it's time to to get rolling. And we are literally about to preview the season, and I couldn't be more ecstatic. Cheers. Yeah, I'm pumped, man. And doing this season preview is when we do all of our position groups and stuff. But I've had a really hard time just the last few days not looking into BC. Like, I I just want to dig into the first game. Got to pump the brakes a little bit. This (laughs) is to go over our team. That's what our season preview does. All the positions, the rankings, our schedule, the prediction on that. Again, I know you've heard us predict it a bunch of times, but we like to revise as the summer goes on. And the season preview is the final the final state of what we think is going to happen this year. So let's start with our news and notes. We don't have many today. We did a couple on our last podcast, which you just got two days ago. First things first, we wanted to make sure you knew about our pick'em this year. Robbie set up a pick'em on CBS Sports. And so every week you can pick the games that we're going to pick and you can see if you can beat us. Put out the link at some point in the next couple days. Make sure to get signed up before the Boston College game. We won't be doing a pick'em for the two games this week. That's right. And I have a, a really, really good feeling that our listeners are going to beat us. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, someone will beat us for sure. Absolutely. And yeah, our stats have been pretty good. I mean, we've gotten as high as you know sixty percent uh, against the spread on on a full year, but. Uh, I have faith that our listeners are that good and somebody's going to come out and probably embarrass us. For sure. The next thing I had was the AP poll is out. We are number 36 if you want to go into the votes. Clemson was number one. Bama was number two. If you want to get into the ACC and people on our schedule, Notre Dame was number nine. Syracuse was number 22. And then in the receiving votes, you also had Miami at 29 and UVA at 32. I did note that there wasn't a single vote for Boston College, which I thought was just a little bit interesting. Yeah, I thought that was, uh, I thought, especially, I think last year they got a few votes uh, when the uh, A.J. Dillon hype, hype was like really going strong. So, um, but it's, uh, it, it's not a great look for the ACC, but, you know, we'll take it and we'll get ready for the season here. Yeah, no coastal teams ranked in this ranking either. The coaches poll had already done that, and now the AP poll confirms it. Miami, UVA, and us all sneaking up on it, but we'll see if uh, if any of us can can bust in there this year. The last note we had was Thomas Gary, one of our social media and football guys, has left the program. He's heading down to Georgia Tech, and 
we only bring it to light because we're losing the Gary signal. <laughs> yeah, that was how everybody... There's probably plenty of people that don't subscribe to Twitter, but as soon as you saw him post, you know, Virginia Tech just got better, then you knew that somebody or was like some be type committing. of gif or yeah. something. Yeah, <laughs> you knew that somebody was going to be committing, and typically it was within you know hours afterwards, so everybody would get all juiced up. So good luck to him down at Georgia Tech, uh, but uh, it'll uh, it'll be sad. Hopefully, we still get the uh, the signal with whoever comes in and replaces him. We're going to hop right into this, and I'm going to start with 2018, where we finished. In the S&P Plus, we were overall 55th. The offense finished 41st, and the defense finished 77th, which I actually thought was going to be worse, but 77th doesn't actually sound so bad, considering we had four games where we gave up 40 points. I can't. I I thought I had heard, and now we're all just kind of remembering what we heard in the off season. I thought we were in the eighties, but I think eighties might have been you know partial defense. But overall, there's plenty of room to improve, Pete. I think that's probably all we can take from that, and 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 kind of look forward here. All right. So for 2019 and what we're coming in at and all the preseason prognostications. I've been putting them out on Twitter as they come out, so you may have seen some of these. The highest ranking we got was from Sports Illustrated. They put us at 22. Athlon has us at 26. Phil Steele is right there at 25. The projected S&P Plus is 30, so a significant jump in the S&P, even though we finished last year at 55. ESPN Football Power Index is 32. Coach's poll was also 32, AP poll 36, CBS Sports, and their experts put us at 40, and Sagarin put us at 40. Uh, The Vegas odds, we are tied with six other teams at the 25th best odds to win the national title. So I kind of take that as the Vegas poll, is that we're between 25 and 31, I guess that is, or 32, something like that, um, in, in terms of the Vegas poll, quote unquote. I don't know if you give any more credence to one of those rankings than another, if you favor the SI 22 or the S&P 30, or what do you think? It, it really depends on how you want to look at it. So, you know, AP, the AP writers that are in the conference, they know they know a lot. I mean, they're pretty t- well tied in. Um, you know, Bill's statistics on S&P, I, I I love them once you get past game four. Let's put it that way, because they're still taking into account the prior year. They're taking it's it's a very mathematical formula to it. Um, SI, I give very little credence to whatsoever. And really, I I do rely. This is just me personally. I'm not saying anybody else should. I rely on Steel and Athlon a lot. I think they're really well tied in. I think they have a lot of boots on the ground that are figuring out what's happening in the program. Now, I would agree with that. And Phil Steele runs the numbers himself every year and puts them in his magazine. He's very open about that. And Athlon has beat him the last 10 years. Over the 20-year period, he is still number one. But Athlon has been pretty close to the mark. And that's with even getting us way wrong last year. Athlon had us at like 16 last year. And they had Miami at nine, and we all know how Miami fell out of the rankings. So they took it on the chin with a few spots, but they were still the most accurate among all the magazines. Uh, I like the SI-22, but I think it's funny that you said you don't give them much credence. Do you think it's funny, too, that they're the team that wrote about all the problems we had last year, and yet they also gave us the highest ranking? (laughs) Well, 
part of that article, and we're not going to rehash it again because we said we were moving on, but part of that article was how much more positive things are inside the locker room. So take it for what it's worth. I, I see that as a, a positive sign, but when I when I look at everything that's on here, Coach's poll is a joke, so I don't really – that I disregard it. The ESPN, I think they're – what is the FPI, they call it, is their their statistical uh, analysis. Okay, I really just come back to averaging out Steel, Athlon, and S&P. I think that's a good mix of statistics, right, so inside information. Yeah, Steel puts us at 25, and then the 30, and then what was the Athlon? They put us at 26? Yeah. So that's 27th. Yeah. I you think feel that's... better about that 27? Yeah, I, I, I no, I'm just saying what I would actually pay attention to in any given year. Even if one of those was way off the mark and up at 45 or 50, I would still, those are the three I kind of hone in in. No, I would agree with you on that. I, I like Sagarin, but I, I just don't know if that's becoming, if he's becoming a bit dated or whatever. Um, I also don't know the, the rating system as opposed to where magazines think you'll finish. Because there's also kind of a difference of like, how good a, are a team are you like in a straight line compared to the other ones, as opposed to like where you finish in the polls due to your schedule. And the S&P is in a straight line of quality of team. And that's what Phil Steele's power poll is. And we were 40 in that as opposed to 25th in his ranking. So there is the discrepancy there in quality of team and how they think they'll finish in the rankings. Regardless, we'll move on from that. Connolly's returning production rank put us at 11th. So we're bringing back some of the most production in the country. That was before we lost Watts and before we lost Gaines. So it might come down a little bit, but other teams are losing guys too to transfers and dismissals and all kinds of other things. So we're probably in the top 15 in terms of returning production. Uh, that that bodes well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll talk about it in a, you know, a little bit in I guess a little bit but you know Pitt just lost one of their you know great defensive um, you know tackles with an ACL tear it's happening to people all over the country almost to the extent that you can't keep up with it so i think it ends up balancing out there's going to be some guys that get a little bit more snake bit than than others but overall i think it balances out so let's take a look at the schedule just from 10,000 feet here. We're going to get into the actual wins and losses and the record of prediction at the end. But the, the schedule strength has been a talking point all summer. It is not a strong schedule. In fact, Phil Steele put, put it as his 86th toughest schedule, which was last among the Power 5 teams. And the next closest team was UVA. Go, go figure, because they're in our division, at 75th. It, it's it's weak. It's it's got two FCS teams on it, uh, and the coastal is down. There's not a lot of returning guys. Like and even our crossover game in BC, they lost a ton of guys. Pitt lost a ton of guys. New coach at Georgia Tech. New coach at UNC. It makes sense, but it's gotten us a decent amount of criticism this off season. Yeah, it's been relatively brutal uh, in terms of how much it's been talked about. And the weird part is, is that. The most of the context that I've heard about it, and I don't know what you've heard when I listen to, you know, or if I read or listen to people talking, is we get all the criticism for it, but there's none of the positivity associated with what Virginia Tech's end record could actually be. 
other than, you know, a quick, hey, Virginia Tech has a really easy schedule. Maybe they'll be good this year in terms of a record, not necessarily. And then, you know, what the team will do. So it's, um, you know, I think it really comes down to how good is, you know, Notre Dame? How good is Miami? And then if everything, knock on, you know, all the wood that you can find, if, if we were to do really well this year, um, also UVA, which I guess is touted as a, you know, being the, the potential coastal champion this year. We'll see how that goes. But I, I think it really comes down to those three teams on, on how they perform this year and what people will look back after the season is done in terms of the strength of schedule. We only played two teams inside the top 40 of the projected S and P plus, and that's Miami and Notre Dame. And if you look at our three toughest opponents, according to the preseason rankings, which is Miami, Notre Dame, and UVA, all those games are on the road. So in some ways, yeah, this is an easy schedule. Like we're going to play ODU and two FCS teams, but having to go to Miami, to UVA, and to Notre Dame is nothing to sneeze at, especially with the way people are predicting UVA this year. Yeah, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but the whole two FCS teams um, – concept has really just gotten annoying at this point because it in a decent Virginia Tech year and there have been plenty of years in the past that this hasn't happened that replacement for that team should be a W right so yeah yeah it's it's an easier W it might be a you know a little bit of time off of that but I think it's gotten a little bit overblown in terms of um well, from our fans and from other people in terms of the two FCS teams. And we all know the circumstances around what happened with ECU. Yeah, it's supposed to be ECU and, you know, the hurricane and everything else and the disagreement. And now they're not on the schedule. So we had to fill it in. And you're right. ECU has been bad. And I said a couple podcasts ago, we, they've basically been an FCS team the last two years. They used to give us trouble. Last few years, we kicked the crap out of them. And if it was not ECU, it would be Bowling Green or it would be Ohio or, you know, it would be someone that should be a W. So, yeah, it, it's, it makes it look a lot worse because it's an FCS team, but the team wouldn't have been very good anyway. It's not, that's not going to be Penn State, you know. <laughs> Next year, maybe, but this year, that was never going to be a Power 5 team. Yep. I was also just wondering, if you look at the schedule, and the same thing happened last year, I said the best QB on our schedule was Daniel Jones. And that it's become kind of funny now because he went so high in the draft and everyone's making fun of it. But it was kind of true, except for Ian Book came on strong and we didn't know we'd be playing him. And we played a lot of backup quarterbacks that we didn't expect to play who were very good <coughs> ODU. But this year, it's the same thing. Like Other than Ian Book and Bryce Perkins, who are the tough quarterbacks on this schedule? I, I don't know, Wake or BC or Pitt? I think it's got to be BC. Um, and, and that's only if he were, he's had some injury issues over time. And I, it, that's probably the best I could come up with is, the, is the, tough, the toughest quarterback. I mean, we know who the toughest is if he's playing the way that he has in the past and what people think he can do. It's Perkins. But I'm guessing it's BC. But when you look at this, it's... It makes it's it's very tough to figure out who else is out there. Yeah, Perkins had the highest passer rating besides Trevor Lawrence among the guys who are returning. So he he is the best in the ACC. But Ian Book, 
And that guy's tough. He, he's a very, very good player. So those are by far, I think, the two best quarterbacks we'll face this year. Yep. All right, let's move into these position groups. This is this is the real meat and potatoes part of this podcast. We'll do a couple, then we'll take a beer break, and then we'll jump back at it and get to the schedule again to give our record predictions. But I wanted to ask Robbie, what do you think will be our strongest position in 2019? And we'll start there. So... I, I promise everybody that's listening, I'll be boring at first, but my next pick, we're going to go in opposite direction when we get to the end of the other side of it, which is what's not our strongest. So I, I just have to go wide receiver. I mean, between Hazleton, Turner, Grimsley, I, I mean, Robinson, uh, Patterson, Pickney, S- Simmons, I, the, you know, we always referenced Fuente's quote um, and, and he always said he wanted eight, right? That's what he wanted. That that was always his goal of like eight people that were relatively talented to, you know, very talented um, people that could catch the ball. And he has, in my mind, seven probably right now. And um, we can go back to the, you know, the cam days. We can go back to Ford. We can, you know, go back to any of those times, but we didn't have a lot of options. We always just had some really, really talented wide receivers. Right now, I can probably pick out five that could go up for really, really good stats this year. And when I mean stats, it doesn't mean everybody's going to be, you know, a thousand yard receiver. It just means from a completion percentage, route running, um, mixing up abilities in terms of speed, size, athleticism. You know, you take Patterson, who is probably down on that list of people that you would talk about, and we all have seen him, you know, going after jump balls in a physical way that you, you know, you're really impressed by. It's it's hard for me not to pick them. The 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 only concern there that I have is how much does the run game I mean the run game opens up the pass game pass game opens up the run game we always talk about it and right now that that is a question mark for me but I also have confidence in the offensive line and I'm not trying to roll through different position groups but it's why it gives me more confidence in the wide receivers because I think the offensive line is going to help out one of our areas that may be a little bit more challenged in the run game, which will then further the the wide receivers in what they're trying to do. So I know the three always play off each other, but our strongest spot I think is aided by probably the next strongest spot in an offensive line that we have, you know, going right now. I agree with you that wide receiver is perhaps the best unit on the team. My, my concern is that it's, it's not super deep yet, and that eight we're getting very we're getting closer every year. We're we're getting closer to that number. Losing Kuma, that hurts a little bit. He was a tough receiver. You know the numbers weren't like outstanding or anything, but you you see the tough plays he makes, and and I think he, that is a loss. Savoy I think is addition by subtraction. I'm confident in the starters, Hazelton, Turner, and Grimsley, and and Grimsley is right now in that slot, but he's playing a lot out wide as well. And if you remember, and French talked about this, it's something I noticed that in the end of the season last year, uh, there was no more Savoy, who who was dynamic in the slot when he could catch it. Grimsley wasn't as dynamic. And I, I still think he's a very good player and guys get better. And he was just a true sophomore last year. But the hype we're hearing about Tavion Robinson 
and his ability to create in space is really exciting, which ultimately means maybe Grimsley ends up outside again um, and, and, and plays both, but you get what I'm saying. Seventeen hundred yards coming back from Hazelton, Turner, and Grimsley. That combination. Turner averaged over twenty yards a catch. Uh, that was tied for fourth uh, in the ACC, and Hazelton had eight touchdowns, which was also tied for fourth. So this group coming back is is so phenomenal at the very top. And then when you start to peel back the layers, and you see Robinson, and you see Patterson, like you mentioned, uh, and even going down to Daryl Simmons, who was a really nice recruit we got a couple years ago and is now, I guess, a redshirt freshman. Uh, it's it's getting real exciting. Can Bowick and Pickney, can they, as true freshmen, will they play? Will they avoid the redshirt? That's, that's kind of the question. And if they do, that means they're on a very good track and we're going to get really close to that eight number you're talking about. Yeah, and and that's where it's probably the most exciting wide receiving core, like the group as a whole, assuming that some of the younger guys live up to what we think they're going to live up that we've had in a long time. Uh, And it's hard for me to pick out a position at Virginia Tech, maybe other than, you know, Oscar, uh, (laughs) um, that, uh, you know, I'm more more excited about to see on the field and gives – uh, a lot of options to Willis. And I just, I love the concept of having new helmets on the field in different positions and having to force cornerbacks and safeties to adjust what they're doing to the different style of, of, of the players that we have. And I think there's something very, very, um, you know, uh, difficult to have, you know, cornerbacks and safeties be able to to react to that type of thing, even if it's just your style of route running that you have to kind of adjust on the on the fly. So that rotation, I'm I'm a big fan of. Yeah, and I said the thing about not being super deep, and that's because if one of those guys, those top three guys, did go down, then all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, we're playing a lot of very young gentlemen here. So um, let's just hope everyone stays healthy. I really do think Hazleton's getting a double-digit touchdowns because I think it's a huge red zone threat for us. And Trey is going to go over 1,000. And I know only Isaiah Ford has really done that in our history, but we've had many 900-yard receivers. Trey went for 535 as a true freshman coming off a shoulder surgery with two different quarterbacks in a year where the whole team hated each other. So I think he could double that for sure. I, I think he can go over 1,000 now. That would be my bold prediction for the wide receivers. I'd like to pick my strongest one to go next, and yep. that is linebacker. Uh, I like linebacker a little bit more than wide receiver in terms of quote-unquote strongest group just because we have a lot of experience. You know, all the guys played last year, and there's a ton of upside, and it's deep. Like If one guy goes down, we have very capable hands right behind him. We only lost one linebacker, really, and that was Kearney. And he only he was a backup as it was. He was filling in at the time. And he filled in admirably, don't get me wrong, but we didn't really lose anyone. And Dax Hollifield at backer is the future heart and soul of our defense. He may take that role this year. He may take it you know, at the end of the year. I'm not really sure. But the way you see him in the videos and everything he has to say is very positive. 
and the, his play on the field was very, very good for a true freshman, even though at times he looked like a baby deer out there, kind of stumbling around, finding his way. I, I'm just so excited about his potential. Uh, he had 62 tackles, fourth on the team, eight tackles for loss. I, he was always making plays, I felt like, when he was, when he was engaged and like not letting himself get screwed up and in the wrong gap. I, I'm so pumped about him and, and Ashby at Mike too. I, you know, he's, he's as solid as they come getting rave reviews by bud led the team with 105 tackles. What are your thoughts on, on those two positions? Yeah, that's, that's another one that, that was my number two about excitement on, uh, on the program. So when you go through Richard Ashby, Hollyfield, Connor, Dylan rivers, artists and Tisdale, I mean that's a lot. That's a lot of depth at that at that linebacker position, and a lot of guys that I think are are really good. I think Ashby might, and I know I'm going off of stats from last year. I think he might be the most productive this year. I think Dax might be the most important this year, if that makes sense. So, yeah. no, um, you know, you have leaders, and then you have you know some people that are just are just you know players. I think the two of them are going to be awesome i mean when you have a guy like you know rivers that's backing up if you have a guy like tisdale with how talented he could be that may not even see the field very much um and i think that's that's pretty incredible i think the linebacking core is um extremely solid that this year and is honestly one of my the reasons I'm very hopeful about this defense this year in comparison, especially in comparison to last year, not that we want to be comparing ourselves to that, but uh, that I feel better about it this year. So I, I totally agree. Yeah. The Tisdale comparisons by bud to Xavier DB, that just gets your spidey senses tingling a little bit because the DB was always flying around. And if Tisdale's anything close, that's, that's incredible. The Juco kid Barno's a little bit of a wild card. Six foot six, two thirty-five. He's been impressive. I'm wondering how they're going to use him. He he's a backer, but I think he could even supplement maybe on the D line. Uh maybe coming in as a fourth linebacker at times in a dime package or something. Uh there's a lot of potential and so much flexibility. Chamari Connor at the whip position, which we're including the whips and the linebackers because that's how I always feel about it. I know it's kind of a nickel corner at this point, but a hard-hitting guy like Chamari Connor deserves to be included as a linebacker, and the whip positions, that's where we're going to do it. So Connor seems to have surpassed Ladler at that position, and I love Ladler. I think he's still going to contribute quite a bit, but Connor's playmaking ability and just his physicality is something that we've sorely, sorely needed. And so the flexibility between the whip positions and all the different backer rotations we can run. And like you said, you mentioned rivers who I think can play both positions of Mike and backer and Keyshawn artist is looking great as a backup to Richard Ashby. I'm afraid we're going to lose some of these guys down the road just because they're not all going to be able to play. But for this year, man, the, the depth and the playmaking ability is just so undeniable. Yeah, and not to get into the concern areas, but I think I said this on the last podcast, is I think the linebackers are so critical this year in terms of everybody's other fear, which is what's happening on the defensive line. You know, and you know, they can't solve all problems. At the end of the day, you need an aggressive, you know, you, you need speedy defensive ends, you need, you know, size on your defensive, you know, line. 
but I think that they can make up for some of the problems that we may have in terms of depth and other things if they're as good as we think they are. And I think that's what, to your point, makes them as critical um, to to this team in a positive way as as you know we're making them out to be. The thing that gets me the most excited is that Bud seems excited about the linebackers again. Like that, and when you hear it in his voice, I just can't wait to watch him cut them loose. It's it's going to be awesome. Where do you want to go next? Do you want to move on to the? Let's rip through the um, the offense. I mean, quarterback. I don't think we have too much to say. I mean, we don't have a quarterback announced yet. I think we both agree on who it's going to end up being, and in, in Willis. Uh, I have, you know, this is this is a little bit cheating, but tied in with my excitement about the wide receivers. I have really high expectations for Willis this year in terms of what his stat numbers are going to be. Um, assuming that he can be accurate, assuming that he doesn't make the same type of mistakes that he started to do towards the end of um, certain portions of, of last year. Uh, so I... <laughs> What's behind him in terms of the development of Hendon Hooker and where that's going? QP is off the radar at this point. That That's concerning if we do have an injury, which we've been prone to uh, a lot. If we go back to Brewer, if we go back to Josh Jackson, if we go back, it's it hasn't been great. So the depth there is my only concern. I think if Willis is healthy and on the field, I'm good at quarterback. I'm I'm fine. Like we don't have a we don't have a top five quarterback, but we have somebody that can win us games. Absolutely. Yeah, and Willis will be named the starter. I it still hasn't happened yet. Uh, any day now, right? Right. But uh, I think if he fixes some of last year's flaws, which he has great arm talent, he runs well, uh, but he has these limitations, particularly reads in the run game throwing over the middle wasn't his strong suit um if he can build on his strengths eliminate some of these weaknesses he could be really really good this year i i love his passion he needs to make sure to keep it in check at times but i love the intangible of just like a guy just really wants to win and has some of the ability to make that happen, which that's the problem. Some guys like really, really want to win, but they have no way of doing it or showing it on the field. Willis can. He, he kind of did in the in the UNC game. He definitely did in the UVA game at the end in the ball at Keene, um, which was more of a keen play, but nevertheless, he put the ball in the air. Uh, I love his moxie, man. And I think fully healthy, he has a fantastic season for us. With with the weapons he has, and we're going to get into the tight ends, but the weapons he has at wide receiver, tight end, even the running backs, he has a supporting cast that can raise his game to a whole new level. So if you want to look at 2018, 58.5% completion, 2,700 yards, 7.5 yards per attempt, 24 touchdowns, 9 picks. He is third behind Lawrence and Perkins' in passer rating coming back in the ACC, but he was right behind uh, Trevor Lawrence in terms of QBR and was above Perkins in that stat. If you wanted to make a comparison to someone Fuentes coached in the past, we can go to Paxton Lynch. I know Lynch had all the physical tools to be a great pro, and so his growth might have been a little bit quicker and stuff, but in Paxton Lynch, second year under Fuentes tutelage, 
Very similar numbers to Willis last year. Almost identical uh, in terms of the rating, the yards per attempt, everything. The very next year, Lynch went to 66% completion, almost 3,700 yards, 8.5 yards per attempt, and he did another four TDs, uh, passing, more rushing, and a 158 rating. So I don't know if he'll do the 66% completion. That's probably never going to happen for Willis. But 62%, you know, bring it up four percentage points, 3,500 pass yards, eight and a half yards per attempt. These are reasonable goals. And with the development and being more comfortable and having all these weapons, he absolutely should hit these numbers. Now, just TDs, that can be a little fickle depending on running backs or whatever, but I think he'll hit 32 pass TDs. I know he had 24 last year and a not, not a full season. So it's, it's eight increase. That's, it is lofty. And I expect him to have an extra on the ground. So a five on the ground, 32 in the air, nine interceptions. Do you think I'm being too bold? <laughs> I, I, I'm really bullish on him. I did the, the more I read about him, the more confused I get because I'm actually really excited about what he's going to do this year. Assuming he stays healthy again, you know, we've seen this happen before when we get a finally, finally get a returning quarterback and it ends up blowing up in our face. Assuming that he's healthy, his passes to the outside of the field are that we don't have anybody else that's been able to do that in a long time. I mean, it's, it's actually extremely impressive. I know that he's been judged by a number of people on passes over the middle and the passes that he did make were generally to like keen, you know, a, a little slight slant and, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't much to it, but I, I think, I think the lack of news about him and his development, everybody may use that as criticism. I think it's actually pretty positive. I, I would be extremely surprised if he comes in under 62% in a passer, you know, in, in completion percentage this year. Absolutely. Uh, that, that, and with the threats that he has and the ability to throw the deep ball to the outside to pick up chunk yardage on on plays that aren't too risky because he can put it in the right place. I mean, those are those are easy 20, 25 yard passes that he he can pick up and he knows how to throw that ball. His my biggest problem with Willis, and it happened more towards the second half of of last season and really the last is when he scrambles and then everything just goes to shit. Like he, when he rolls out and he's just, he's just kind of like, you know, he, he doesn't have that sense of just being able to understand where to put the ball when he's rolling out. Those were the times that I would get, you know, the, the hair on the back of my neck would like stand up. I was yeah. like, Oh no, what's going to happen? Uh, what What's going to happen? But that's, that's not his talent. And I think with the offensive line, if they improve the way that we hope that they, first of all, they were very good, and especially towards the end of the season. If he has time and he can be in the pocket, he is going to be extremely dangerous, in my opinion. Yeah, and we saw in the Marshall game, he showed great ability to move within the pocket and get the ball down the field, which is different from scrambling outside the pocket and kind of, you know, what's going to happen here, like you said, because I would agree with you there. If he takes off and runs, I'm cool with that because he's a good runner. But when when he's like is gonna whip it like moving uh, like outside the pocket no that 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 does scare me but his ability to move inside the pocket sense pressure um, he has some of that ability and it was getting better so I feel good about that the mid one fifties QB rating uh, I think is very attainable 
And if he hits that rating, he's going to have these numbers uh, if he plays all the games. So the backups quickly on that. You you touched on Hooker and, and Patterson. I'll say this. I feel much better about Hooker coming in the game this year than I would last year. If Willis would go down. <laughs> That's right. Uh, because we saw in the William & Mary game, he has the ability to run for sure. He just went streaking down the sidelines. But then we also saw uh, the – you know, he comes in for a single play and the ball gets like snapped and it's all screwed up and everything else. And that might not have been his fault, but nevertheless, it happened on his watch. Um, I think the praise from Fuente is encouraging. It's a second summer in a row where he's like, I really like what Hendon did. He's had those flashes, like the spring game and his the ability in the William & Mary game. Like we, we've seen some of what he can do. So I'd be excited at his, for him, if he got a chance to play, but in a perfect world that that wouldn't happen really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't, I, I'm never one for forcing a guy on the field and, and that, that can be a bad thing because then you're sure you don't have quarterbacks that are ready, but I love giving, especially the quarterback position time to develop. We can say whatever we want about Fuente and Brad, but they're good at coaching quarterbacks. It, regardless of what's happening every offseason, they are getting taught very, very well. And there's no way that he could have gone three for three in terms of developing quarterbacks unless that was that was true. And the same thing goes for Quincy, too, in terms of the development. That's what we're hoping for. He'll get in on some packages this year. I'm positive of that. Running game, short yardage, maybe even a trick play throw. Who knows? But... Quincy, that's going to be his role this year, third-string QB and special packages. I want to move to the offensive line next, but let's take a beer break first. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am drinking – this is a brewery that I didn't even know existed, so I tried to. I found something new, and I wanted to bring it on. So it's called the Hazy Mindset. It's a New England IPA, and it's from uh, – this is going to be terrible when – Alstatian Brewing Company. It's out of like Sterling. It's it's actually right here in Northern Virginia. From uh, and I had no clue that it was around here. Um, it's at first I wasn't a big fan of it. It was a little muddled and didn't really taste like a New England style. I've, I've started to try and just judge against what the beer type is because we've had so many beers on the podcast. I'm trying to like, you know, fit it into the, what the, what the style is. It was a little bit more malty than I would have expected, but after I've had a few more sips of it, uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's a L E S a T I N. So Alstasian, I guess it would be, I don't know. That how can you... looks beautiful. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice style. Um, and it's pretty good, and I love that. You know, I haven't heard of it, and it's right down the road. And I got to go to the beer store and pick one up. Nice. I'm drinking the Flying Hawaiian from Evil Genius Beer Company. Flying Hawaiian is a tropical punch pale ale, which is kind of weird to just call it straight up tropical punch, but that is exactly what it tastes like. It tastes like kind of like Hawaiian punch, um, a super super bitter version of Hawaiian punch, <laughs> and. It is, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's good, but, uh, it's a little, it's a little odd. I don't know the, the flavors of the tropical punch and the bitterness of the pale ale. It tastes fine. Um, 
not a home run, but it is good. And I do like Evil Genius, and no beer they make is really that bad. I'm not sure this is my favorite one, but uh, the Flying Hawaiian Tropical Punch Pale Ale. I would give it a try, but I might not buy a six-pack of it. Well, we, we don't have too much uh, too much longer until those beers are going out of vogue, and then we're all going to be switching over to stouts here pretty soon. So Yeah, I know the Oktoberfests are coming, the pumpkin beer, stouts. It's going to be great. Okay, Robbie, let's get into this offensive line. This is a group that has a lot of upside. They could be really, really good. But we did lose Nijman, Chung, and Faf. I mean, Chung was there for 100 years, so that's obviously a huge loss. Um, And we've got the issue of Brock Hoffman not being cleared yet, and we think that would be our starting center, so that's kind of a thing. But we return a decent amount of experience despite the losses. Darisol, Janzi, which i that's how it's pronounced, is Janzi. Lasita Smith, Zachariah Hoyt, and Tyrell Smith all played a good number of snaps last year. And especially at tackle, I feel very comfortable with Dereshaw and Janzi. We were 67th in tackles for loss allowed per game last year. That was actually worse than in 2017, which was 37th but still an improvement over 2016, which was 84th. So sometimes you take a little bit of a step back as you're still trying to learn. And last year was such a disaster in so many ways that you'd figure that we're going to take a little bit of a hit there. But I think we'll get back closer to being a top 40 unit in that regard this year just because the talent level has raised so much. I think really what us solidifying the center position is going to be crucial. I mean, forget all the... Even beyond the you know the missed snaps that we had last year, which I don't know if we could count on you know your hands and my hands, I think yeah the center I think is crucial to us figuring out, which is why it's so unfortunate about Hoffman. I I have this feeling I don't know if I think he's going to get cleared. I hope he gets cleared. I think the NCA is getting raked over the coals right now. So if he comes in, I feel. I already feel good about this unit. I'll feel a lot better if he's able to come in, even if he's not the starter, but just give us some depth because I think he's you know that talented. Yeah, the starting five is still a bit unclear, at not only at center, but at right guard. And we've been talking about that. What's the competition at right guard? Is Hoffman going to get cleared because then he'll be center and then Hoyt could maybe move over to right guard, all that kind of stuff. But with Vance Vice, nothing is set in stone. And... You cannot rule out a surprise on the first play of the BC game. And the the more I'm looking at this, and obviously we think it's going to be Darisol at left tackle, Janzi at right tackle, Lasita Smith at left guard, Hoffman at center, and you know that competition at right guard. It's, I like the idea of Tyrell Smith playing because he's uh, one of the few seniors we have and he hasn't missed a game at Virginia Tech, mostly on special teams, but he hasn't missed a game. But like he's not... He's actually better at tackle than he is at guard, even though he's only 6'3". So I don't think it's going to be Tyrell Smith. It's going to be one of John Harris, TJ Jackson, Hoyt, or maybe even Doug Nestor. And Doug Nestor has lived up to every bit of the hype that was put upon him when we flipped him from Ohio State. And it would be really cool for the true freshman to start game one. But I also think it would be cool for TJ Jackson. I also think it would be cool for Hoyt to not lose a starting spot. Uh, just because Hoffman came in and took his center spot. Um, 
the other thing that could lead into this surprise is Luke Tenuta. Have you been hearing these whispers about how good Tenuta has been? That's the kid who's six foot seven and three hundred and fifteen pounds. I have not. I I I'd heard all the coach speak about T.J. Jackson and what his offseason was like, and and how positive that was. I had I hadn't heard that, so that's even more exciting. And um, Nestor, I I totally agree with you. Has seemingly lived up to the hype recognizing that he's young but is has a huge future ahead of him and maybe that's maybe that starts to play out this year the other freshman that might contribute i think is brian hudson i don't know if he'll avoid the red shirt or not it's hard to say we have so much depth that it would be kind of a shame to not red shirt some of the guys who aren't going to play very much I don't think Nestor's getting a redshirt. I think he's going to play a lot, whether he starts or not. Add in guys, Austin Cannon, Walker Culver, some of the other freshmen, Hanson and Pritchard or whatever. Lots of depth at this position, but it's still young. So when we step on the field game one, how good is it going to be? I, I don't know, but I do know it's going to get better from game one to game 12. Just like at the end of last year, it's, it started to get a lot better at the end of the year. I think there's only one quick point I want to make and we'll move on is Vance Vice has found a way for us as Hokie fans to the rotation, like at the running back position, we hear the rotation and we all just get you know annoyed. It's like, why don't we have a back that can be like the rotation? I think we have enough trust in Vance Vice that we feel comfortable about what he's doing when he's moving around guys. He's, he's, he's very quickly, I guess in, in, uh, built up a lot of respect amongst the Hokie fan base in terms of moving people around and putting them in the right positions to be as good as we can be. The last thing I'll say is just that on that Tenuta note is he just, he is really pushing for playing time. Like he, there's a chance that he could be one of the tackles when, when we kick off. And I don't know how that would shake up the whole rest of the lineup, but it's it's great to hear because we already had like tackles so, they're so hard to find you know we we've spent years trying to find two really good tackles and now we might have three so it, it's just it's really exciting let's move on to the guys who they'll be paving the way for that is the running backs this is going to be a committee again <laughs> i hear shane beamer's music but i do think king Keyshawn king the true freshman will have a big impact as the year goes on we lost Stephen Peoples, uh, and he. I think that is actually a bigger loss than anyone wants to admit because of his blocking, because of his leadership. We actually moved up to 67th in yards per rush last year. That doesn't sound that good, but the three previous years, 98th, 96th, 105. So 67th with 4.36 yards per carry, that was a huge improvement. We were men of the peoples. I mean, we talked about him a lot last year, um, probably uh, almost nauseating for most of the listeners about his physicality, the way that he was a bruising back, that he he, he took, I mean, he, up the center, he took a lot of like big hits and things like that. He really changed the pace of the running game. Losing him, I 100% agree with you, cannot be understated in terms of like what that means for this season and how we're going to shift the run game and adjust to that because I mean Holston has some size McLeese does not 
And I, I love Keyshawn King. His, his, the film of him and practice, the guy, I think he's going to be a superstar for us. I just don't know if it's going to be this year. I think it's going to take a year or two. Um, everybody's talked about you know his weight and how he has to put on a little bit. Um, I think we have really three talented running backs. I don't know that we have any change of pace in any three of those outside of Holston maybe being uh, you know a little bit bigger. But we do not have the Stephen Peoples kind of power and the way that he used to run the ball that kind of changed pace for for the running back so that really does concern me yeah and I do love McLeese's game I think it has its place and if McLeese hadn't had the injuries and just just the nagging things I think he would have been so much more effective but that's the problem he's five foot nine 190 like it you're you're gonna get nicked up but when he's fully healthy he's very very good so against BC I actually feel pretty good about the performance he could put on the field. Holston is a guy that I've never been overly impressed with, but people are telling me he's had this healthy offseason. He's been improving. We'll see. I, I'm 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 tentative on that. Malik Bell, he intrigues me <laughs> because of the spring game, because he's bigger, because he can block. These are things that Fuente likes. So I, I'd be curious as to how much play Bell is going to get. You have the Wheatley question. You know he had the nagging shoulder thing, and that really set him back. But he was, he was explosive. He had some plays where it was like, this is intriguing to me. Six yards per carry last year for Wheatley. Uh, speed back. Could he have an impact? I don't know. But whatever Wheatley can do, likely King can do better. <laughs> so I think that's where the carries are going to go. Uh, I think by the end of the year. King is going to be getting at least five to 10 carries a game. I, I at the beginning of the year, it'll be McLeese Holston, maybe fill in here or there later in the year. I think King will have emerged. I, at least I hope so. That that's, that's my, would be my prediction. There. My, my hope's the same. And I think that really depends on perimeter blocking. Like what, how is the blocking from the tight ends and how is the ball, you know, that I think that is going to, is going to shape what King looks like. This year, I'm not. I'm not saying in the future. I, he has all the upside in the world. I think that 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 blocking is going to be really critical to what he ends up putting out on the field and the number of carries he gets, etc. So I, I'm and Holston. I've you know everybody's kind of talking about how much he's improved. I'm more bullish on it, but also out of necessity. Like we need <laughs> yeah. somebody. That has a, like a little bigger frame that can then can mix it up a little bit. We were 34th nationally in runs over 20 yards. The year before, we were like 124th. So we made a huge jump and just big plays out of the running game. And if you think about it, some of those came from the wide receivers. Trey Turner coming around the outside. And that, that role can be filled by King. The, all the Wheatley sweeps, all the Turner sweeps. King can do all of those without like exposing his slighter frame to a lot of punishment. So that is something that um, that I was surprised to see. 34th nationally and runs over 20 yards. Let's move on to the next position. I guess we got to jump back to the defense, and we'll come back to tight end maybe uh, in a minute. I, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on the DBs because this was a position which was maligned last year, no doubt about it. Not only the corners – 
But the safeties also took a kind of a step back after being pretty good the year before. How are you feeling about this group, the DBs? Um, so I this is a weird one to talk about because we talked to, you know, we wanted to hit on our most excited. I hit on my most excited. My most concerned is the secondary. And it's really not because of the secondary in of itself. It's because of how bad it was last year. So taking a step forward... No, we don't need to take a step forward. We need to take like three giant leaps forward in terms of what happened. So Farley just getting a little bit better doesn't work. Like he has to get a lot better. Going back and watching some of the games and and watching some of the film analysis from French, or it was it was utterly atrocious at some places. Like people didn't know where they were supposed to be at the field. They didn't know what direction they were supposed to be. They don't know their footwork was completely off, like off balance. So, you know, I, that is, that is a position that I, I really do think, and I hope like honestly hope for their sake and everybody's sake that they take that giant leap forward this year and make an improvement but just a couple steps is not going to do it. It was so bad that they really, really have to almost change up everything. And obviously with the coaching changes and things like that, it, there's there's plenty of room to do that. And I don't want to go into former coaches and what happened on the field because that's never fun for anybody to talk about. I think the coaching staff that we have now is teaching them the fundamentals of, at least for this year, <laughs> How, how Bud Foster runs a defensive backfield and what's important and what to key on and what to, and how where you play be. that just, position. Just yeah. simply where to be. Yeah. And that's, that was key, I think, for the safeties. That will be key for the safeties. And Hamilton is the biggest upgrade we made at this position as a coach because he is coaching the safeties now and the whips. Reggie Floyd and Divine Diablo are back. And Reggie is a beast. He really is a playmaker the problem is he wasn't always in the right position last year. Diablo, same thing. Beast, but he has the injury issues. I mean, 88 tackles for Floyd last year, 56 solo, 9.5 tackles for loss. Those are great numbers, and and he didn't even have that good of a year. Like, that should have been over 100. That should have been more than 10. You know, it, more interceptions. He had two picks. If those guys can stay healthy with Hamilton teaching them now, I think they're both poised to have amazing years. Like the safeties, I feel great about them at this moment. The corner is a little bit of a different story with the, with the cornerbacks. Farley, he needs to be more physical. We know that, but we've been hearing good things out of camp. Waller, I think, is going to be number two, but he needs to fully step into that number two role. If he doesn't, Quillen is steady. You know, he, he's the steady Eddie senior back there who can start and cover guys well. Webb is a little bit of your, you know, your X factor. Like, can he contribute after the two Achilles tears? I think he can, but at least he'll provide some depth. And then you got Thompson and Chapman, very promising redshirt freshman prospects for the future. How much will we have to rely on them? I hope not very much, but I feel good about Farley and, and Waller. Waller, they liked when he got to campus. He needed to put on weight. He needed to get more physical. Same thing with Farley. Farley's got the speed. He's got the coverage it's can he get fit can he tackle can he be more physical with the receivers all that kind of stuff it's a concern but i i do feel okay 
Uh, I'm not as concerned about DB as I am about defensive line. <laughs> and that, that might shock some people because it seems like the DBs were, were kind of a big problem last year. But with what we have at safety and even the depth too, Hunter moved back to Rover, Tyree Rogers at free safety, J.R. Walker, the incoming freshman looking good at free safety, Brian Murray, the Chuko kid at corner, also working at whip. We've got, we've got good talent at DB defensive line. If we just want to transition into there. One one more thing, just so sure, and then sure. we'll hit defensive line, because I it'll tie into what you're about to say. I think the this the the I think everybody needs the weight to evaluate, truly evaluate the defensive backs until week six, like probably. So if you think about it, who we have coming up on the slate, the run games that we're facing are way more potent than we're what we're gonna face in the past game. I mean, we, you and I were struggling coming up with quarterbacks that we think are going to be good until you know you get to Perkins in the week twelve, right? So you go through and you look at it. Other than the Notre Dame receivers, which are getting a lot of hype, and then there's actually you know a, a good amount of buzz about, like maybe UNC, BC, Miami, Wake, UVA, like the the run game is what's going to establish a lot of these teams. It's not going to be the pass game. So I think if we get to week three and everybody's like, yeah, all problems are solved, I think we just need to have a little bit more patience and see how it plays out. You make a really good point, man. I I, <laughs> I know that Boston College does have Kobe White and some other guys, but you're you're absolutely right that we could shut down the first four teams we play, and you really will have done nothing in terms of the pass game. So that's good to keep in mind. So moving to that defensive line, which I have the most question marks uh, next to, there's been major attrition. We lost Walker, Mahota, Gaines, Hill, Burke, and then also just some backups in Fullwood and Taylor. That was seven guys from a year ago at this time. Now the coaches went out and they got JUCOs. They got freshmen, and they moved two guys to the defensive line. Guess how many they got? Seven. So we replaced the seven guys we lost from last year with seven, and and the nice thing is, according to Wiles, according to Bud, we hit on those freshmen. We hit on those JUCOs. So thank God, because we really needed guys to step up, particularly at the defensive tackle position. We were 89th in sacks per game last year. 89th for a team that prides themselves in defense. I put the thing on Twitter earlier today. We haven't been in the top 30 in sacks in four years. We are not getting pressure on the quarterback. And as much as people want to rail on recruiting, our recruiting level, it's been about the same. If you look at the guys, their star levels and all that kind of stuff, we basically have one four-star every year that contributes to the team. It used to be Tim Settle. For that, it was Kenna Canham. You know, blah, blah, blah. Go back and back. It's not usually, oh, that year we had four four-stars. No, we ne- it's always been a bunch of threes. Lobster and that's hands. what we have this year. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy Nicholas, exactly. He wasn't a high recruit. And it just hasn't been where it used to be. I do like the starters this year. I think the starters should be good. But a, a lot of this is projection because they're with losing so many guys, there hasn't been that much production on the field. At defensive tackle, you've got Hewitt and Crawford. Crawford is the Juco kid. Both have been getting great reviews throughout camp, throughout the summer. But is that relative? Are those good reviews relative to what we've been used to? I, I don't know. It's fortunate that the Jukos are both good pickups and, and Cunningham as well. 
the true freshman Kendricks, I think I'm, I might be most excited about because he got to campus and instantly everyone was like, this kid can play. So if you look at the two deep, I think it's going to be Hewitt Crawford, Cunningham and Kendricks, Robert Porsche, like he could be in there, but have you heard anything about him? Like mm. I've, he was a good recruit and yet he switched positions from DE to defensive tackle. And now I, I don't know. I wasn't overly impressed with him last year, and now we're in the same position this year. So I think Ken, Kendricks is going to crack the two deep as a true freshman. Well, yeah, and uh, Cunningham being a transfer is always frightening when you're coming into a program that has some established locker room issues. So he's not as bought in. He's not. I think honestly, if I was looking look at this group, if 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 we don't have Hewitt, we have nothing. Is, is basically where I fall out. You know what I mean? Like if he, first of all, he's been vocal about, you know, his support for the team. I think he's a locker room leader for those guys. I I, I think that if uh, Gerard Hewitt doesn't perform the way that we need to and isn't the leader that we need him to be, this whole thing could fall apart with Garbett, Belmar, Crawford. It could, it could be, it could be disastrous. It could. And, Maybe Fuga and Pollard, a defensive tackle, avoid the red shirt. I, I kind of think they, they both might. I, I don't know. Pollard is smaller, but I, they, I feel like I've Wiles just really likes him. So, so we'll see. Will Brown contribute? Aiden Brown, the converted offensive lineman. Gideon Driscoll, the former walk-on. Max Philpot, the other walk-on. I don't know, but that's DT. Just to close out DE real quick. You mentioned Belmar and Garbage, and they are the clear-cut starters. But other than that, that's it's thin. <laughs> and it's Eli Adams and a bunch of question marks. And Becton, he's got all the physical tools. Will the light come on for him? DeBose is dealing with a foot problem right now. That's someone French has always liked. And Nathan Proctor, another very good recruit that we're still just waiting for him to turn that corner. And I, I don't know if it's going to happen that's why I mentioned Amari Barno before. Like, could he help supplement some at defensive end because of his size? Could even Tisdale, you know, if if come down and and rush the quarterback? We talked about that in, in two podcasts ago. Will we generate pass rush from the linebackers because they're so talented and some of them are so quick? That seems like a direction we might need to go with the with the uh, roster situation at defensive line right now. Couldn't agree more. So the last position tight end perhaps the most stacked room of the entire team (laughs) and that's saying something considering how we feel about linebacker wide receiver offensive line well you remember all the stats i put out about dalton keen last year and uh i i I tracked every one of his passes that went to him i mean i'm a i'm a dalton keen guy yeah and and yeah we kept saying he's caught nine of 10 passes he's caught 11 of 13 passes and he, he always seemed to make the play too it was like 18 like at big 20 play. at one point yeah. it's like it was incredible and it wasn't just catching it though it was like against duke remember that play to score the touchdown mm-hmm. he, he stiff-armed a guy he shook another guy off all the way to the end zone of course the uva play he he is he's our guy and the crazy thing is the other guy at his position might catch more balls than him this year. 
in James Mitchell. Mitchell is, uh, he's on the hype train. He's like, it's Mitchell and Robinson hype train. Like they should start yeah. like a you know, locomotive uh, and they can just, you know, barrel through Blacksburg. That's how, how positive it's been. But him and Keen are both huge. 6'3", uh, 6'4", 250 for both of them. Keen had 28 receptions last year, three touchdowns, and he's a great blocker. I think Mitchell, while not the blocker Keen is, will best that reception mark of 28 receptions. And that's saying something. That's a lot of receptions for a tight end uh, for Virginia Tech. Uh, we, we don't... <laughs> We haven't had many people that go over the 30 catch mark for, at, at tight end for us, besides Bucky Hodges, of course. Um, I I see Mitchell working in the slot quite a bit, and that that's good because we talked about Grimsley maybe moving to the outside, and you got Tavion, and then you'd have Mitchell in the slot, and maybe Mitchell on the outside a bit too. And the crazy thing is they're talking about Nick Gallo, Eric Gallo's little brother, they're talking about how good he's been. Fuente has brought him up repeatedly, brought him up again on Tech Talk Live the other night. I think it's um, <clears throat> it's probably, granted, it's more limited, but it's it's probably our most talented group in terms of what you would stack against the country, right? Like if you were looking at, and it's also the most underrated group. If you also listen to national podcasts, read anything. You, 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 the names may come up, but it's not very often. I think it's going to be a big surprise when people see them out on the field. And it just adds so much versatility to what Fuente wants to do with the offense that it's so exciting that I think it, it rounds out and it's, it, it's also ties into why I'm excited about the wide receivers. It just, it adds a whole new dynamic to what you're doing. Even when Keen was playing like at his, his best, it was like, you know, whatever, you, you know, pass the outside, pass it. And then it, like all of a sudden Keen on like the eighth play of the drive catches like right over the middle. And you're like, oh, we didn't. And you could just see the other sideline being like, we didn't see that coming. Yeah, we we totally missed that. And I, I, I love it so much for this offense and, and what Fuente is trying to create that I think it's perfect. So before we close out the positions, we need to talk about special teams real, real quick. <laughs> Uh, kick returner and punt returner kick returner will probably be Farley and Wheatley again. I know they've been working out a bunch of guys at kick return. So don't quote me on the Wheatley thing. I think Farley will be back there. Um, but Cole Beck, unfortunately broke his collarbone. So he won't be around for at least a couple weeks. I think they were going to maybe use him at kick return. So that's unfortunate. Cause I would love to see Cole Beck's speed at that position. I'm worried Pump about Farley be- not seeing the field as, as much there only just because of injury concern, like uh, that, because he's so critical to what we have that that's true. That yeah. kind of, that kind of stinks. Like, cause he, I mean, he's good. He's talented. And, he's- and, and maybe the coaches will, go with that point of view when it gets closer to the year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What I heard the other night was that Farley has been working back there again. Nice. But you're right. If we were to lose Farley to, you know, blown out knee on a kick return, we'd be very upset. Yeah. Uh, punt return is Grimsley and Robinson. We talked about that. Uh, Robinson, that's great, but I still still makes me nervous with the true freshman catching punts. I'd feel more comfortable with Grimsley. If Robinson shows an ability to do it and – seems confident in his abilities while doing it. I'm all for giving the kid with talent and letting him do it for four years. You know, that, that'd be great. Heck but yeah. I, I feel good about punt return. 
Kicker is Brian Johnson. He's a junior. He made all of his field goals under 40 yards last year. He was three of nine beyond 40. Uh, so a little bit to work on there. And if you remember the one against, what was it, Notre Dame, where they made him kick a 50-some yarder or something? Um, that's not helping his stats. But mm-hmm. under 40, he's been good. That's really all I want out of a kicker. Um, half of his kickoffs have gone for touchbacks. We lost our kickoff guy, Jordan Stout. So it's nice to see that at least Johnson, when he did kick it off, half of them did go for touchbacks. And then Oscar Bradburn at punter, 42.61 yards per punt. That was good for 40th nationally. Thought he'd be a little higher. The thing with Oscar was he punted so many times. Yeah. <laughs> he he had one of the most punts in the country, so that probably brought the average down a little bit. Yeah, I think he's going. First of all, his Twitter trash is enough to make him uh, obviously go for for an award this year. But uh, I think I think special teams will be all right. I'm a little worried about about you know. Our kicker. It's a little bit. That's a, a little frightening. In terms of, I, I like the stats underneath 40, but beyond 40, it was disastrous uh, last season. Wasn't so we'll good. have to figure that out. All right. Let's take another beer break before we do overall thoughts and our schedule talk. Yep. What are you drinking over there? I am having the Captain Lawrence Orbital Tilt IPA. Captain Lawrence is a brewing company from New York, and I've had this beer a few times, and now they're starting to sell it in the grocery stores down here. It's This beer is awesome. Orbital Tilt IPA. I've had it a couple times. It's kind of in between a hazy and your traditional IPA. It's hazy in color, uh, and it's kind of got more of that copper color that a lot of traditional IPAs will have. But great, great flavor. And I'm not really one for when beers advertise that they're they've been dry hopped. A lot of them are, but when IPA is particularly like, oh, this one's double dry hopped, or it's dry hopped with this, I don't usually like it. But this one is described that way, and I very much enjoy it. It's it's uh it's got Vic Secret hops, which I've never actually heard of before. Normally hear of the Mosaic or the Simcoe that yeah. we hear about. Um, never heard about this one, but the beer is phenomenal. It's kind of got like a pilsnery feel, but at the same time, it's an IPA. I, I I would just run out and get it. Captain Lawrence Orbital Toad IPA. I really like it. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm drinking Fiend Without a Face, which has one of, I'll even show it to you, has probably the worst um, spelling that I could actually, I actually had to look it up. It's a fiend without a face because it looked like friend. The font is hard to read as you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I know the owner of it's a droid theory that's out towards Percival. Um, they've recently started canning beers. If you don't know, they used to always do bottles with the cork top. That was their whole MO and how they went about things. Started canning beers. And this is a, Hazy double IPA. It's it it's it's all right. I mean, it, it doesn't taste that much like a hazy IPA. There's no haze really to it. Uh, I like to adroit. I like how they do new things with beers. I used to go out there all the time, try and make it out when I can. And this one uh, leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, the artwork is. Phenomenal. He always does great stuff with his cans and and bottles. But the beer is uh, this one. 
I wouldn't recommend it. It was it was stuffed under some stuff at the beer store, so that usually tells me that other people pass by it as well. Um, it's okay. It's it's just very intense for a hazy IPA. Is the best I could I could put it. Maybe we should come up with a new rating system for this year. Like, like make it simple. Three things: don't buy, <laughs> buy one or have one on tap if it's at the bar. Buy a six pack. Like, like that it. should I, really be. I like the, that the, the three rating system. <laughs> this is what, have, you're putting that under. Have don't one. buy. Like oh, yeah, that's yeah. have one. Okay. This is okay. Yeah, like I wouldn't. I would not tell anybody not to have it. But this is certainly a buy one. Never, never buy more than that. I, I, I in my personal opinion, the Captain Lawrence was a sixer, and the Evil Genius was a try one. Yeah. All right, let's do uh, overall thoughts for the defense and and just kind of our expectations. I think it's going to take quite a step up from the 115th yards per play that we gave up last year. Um, it was just so, so bad, and we bring back eight of our top nine tacklers. The run D needs to improve for that number to, to really go up. We were 113th in the run D in the S&P Plus. Anything that's in the hundreds is abnormal. For no, Virginia we're Tech. usually so. top forty, and most of the, most years we're probably top forty in those in that statistic. The linebackers should be a steadying force for the def- the defense. The defensive backs, I think, will be far improved if the D line can just get a little bit of pressure. It will just make everything so much easier if we can get just some penetration on the running game and pressure in the passing game. It would make the lives of Dax and Ashby and Caleb Farley so much, so much easier. But I do think, regardless of how good the line is, even if we had the exact same caliber of D line as we did last year, our defense would be way better. Like I just think I have that much confidence in Justin Hamilton. I have that much confidence in the linebackers growing and learning that it's it's gonna be a lot better. And the D line I think will improve as well. Garbit maybe we didn't emphasize this enough, but he he's been really, really playing well this camp and he was getting some good praise out of spring. It's increased in, in camp. So I know we're not deep, but at least like, I think Garbit could be a star eventually. And I feel good about Belmar and he he's steady and he's shown good leadership. So you take all that into account. Where do you think our defense is landing in terms of a ranking at the end of the year. So we were 77th in the S&P Plus last year. I was going to say 35 what... before you said okay. anything is probably where I'm aiming at. And it's a lot of the same reasons that you say. I, I, I think of it a little bit differently is the secondary has to mature on their own. They have to take full responsibility for what happened last year. And I think they have. And they've come out and said it was it, it was bad and we can't do that again. And then the front seven is going to be different. I honestly do believe the linebacking core is going to have to make up for like people, you know, us establishing the D line and it's not going to look pretty and, but it's going to be what we need in the beginning. I'm hopeful that they're going to come into their own. And if that does happen, if that does happen, I think things could get really, really exciting for the Virginia tech defense. One, I mean, it, it, yeah, everybody's playing for bud 
that can cut both ways. People could be like, well, Bud's leaving, so who actually cares? It could go the opposite way. Bud's leaving, we want to send him out on like Dax, you know he's gonna play his ass off. Like that that's just fact. Like that's something that's important to him. He said it and he's very open about it. You're gonna watch this defense mature as games go on. And it's going to be hard to see in that kind of middle four where we're playing Furman and we're playing ODU. But I think on the back end of it, I think it's actually going to come together. I would honestly to this day say that this defense is going to be 35 and S&P or better. And I'm absolutely willing to put money on it. Somebody wants to take the bet, then let's do it. I think they'll get back to being a top 40 unit. No doubt. I do think they'll get back in the top 40. Phil Steele had us projected as number 15 in total defense. And it kind of goes to show you how <laughs> behind the times Phil Steele is that he's he's still doing total defense and, and stuff like that. Because yards per play is really a much better metric because different leagues go with different paces and there's more plays in the Big 12 and all that kind of stuff. Top 40, what I'm saying, is either in yards per play or S&P Plus. One of those two categories, we will be in the top 40. Uh, and, and like I said, the ceiling is probably around 30. Moving over to the offense, plenty of guys returning here as well, but it's all about projected growth. We've got a quarterback with 28 college games played, talented pass catchers all over the field, a talented physical offensive line, and a hope for a steady run game. It could be a fantastic year. You know, if everything goes like it could go, I mean, this this could be one of the best offenses Virginia Tech has ever had. That's probably not going to be what's happened. There's going to be some hang-up. There's going to be some injury. But I still feel super good about this offense. And, and I kind of waffle about whether I feel better about the defense's projection or the offense's projection. How do you feel about the offense? I think I... I this is honest to God truth. I think we'll be top 15 in passing offense. So I'm splitting it out the way that, you know, Bill does top 15 in passing offense. I think we could break top 10. Uh, that, then that's like a hundred percent truthful. Wow. I think we'll be closer to like 50th in the run game. Uh, I, I just, and that's more me being naive to what we're going to show on the field. Like I just, I don't know what it is. Once, once I got comfortable with Steven peoples, I understood the dynamic between, you know, the bull rush versus, you know, the jet sweep and like how we were mixing things up. I right now, I think there's a ton of upside for what we have in the backfield. I just have no clue what it's going to be. It just makes it hard for me to project that to be like really high, high ranking, but the offense as a whole, I think it'll probably average out to 25th in the nation, something like that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually, and that's pretty bullish. I mean, that's uh, for, for, for a Virginia tech team, 20, 25th. Yeah, and I'll play devil's advocate for about 10 seconds here. They're not super deep anywhere except for the offensive line. If Turner were to get hurt, We'd be okay, but not great. Same thing with Willis. Like we don't know what to expect from Hooker, uh, and we need more from the running backs. Like sixty seventh in yards per rush. Yes, that was improved over the three years prior. But we we need to. It would be nice to be in the top fifty in that category, uh, in terms of just yards per carry. Uh, they have a chance to be so good. I agree with you. The potential to be top twenty five is something that 
I'm still a little bit on the fence about it. And I actually had a question for you, which, and, and you kind of answered it. Which is more likely, a top 25 offense or a top 25 defense? I think you're going to go with offense on this one, right? I don't know about the running, right? Uh, what our run game is going to look like. I know our offensive line is going to be deep and good, which gives me confidence that the run game can be effective. Not like not like lethal. I'm not going in any of the, like any of those other adjectives. It can just be effective enough. This pass game, I think, could be. Um, I don't want to say legendary because that's way too over the top, but I think it could be one of the best that we've had for Virginia Tech. And I may be eating crow at the end of the year. I mean, that could a hundred percent. Hell, it's happened in the past when we've done the podcast. I I just I just. I really feel confident in that one phase of the game for us. Assuming Willis gets, if Willis gets banged up game one, I mean, it happened when we played Ohio state, right? I was there. I was in the stands with my wife, who's an Ohio state fan. And we didn't talk for like two days. So like, uh, I, I've, I've been there. Yeah. Brewer got hurt and it screwed up our whole season. Yeah. And uh, my marriage for two days. So like, <laughs> like that, that could happen. I'm saying if Willis is, healthy and we don't suffer any like really bad injuries in the wide receiving core. This has potential to be the best wide receiving core in my opinion that we've ever put on the field. And I'm excited about it. Just to put a pin in that I'd say 30 ish again is a good goal for the offense, but I think the potential is there for more with the offense than than it would be for the defense though. I'm stoked about the defense as well. So now we're going to do just a quick segment on our most likely wins and our most likely losses, and that will link into our record predictions, and then we'll sign off. We'll try to get out of here without <laughs> without rambling on too much because it's already been long. So I asked Robbie to come up with his most likely wins on the schedule and his most likely losses on the schedule. Wins are easier. All right. I think we're going to give, give us your most likely wins starting one one to four. And they're pretty boring. I have... The first two should be pretty simple. (laughs) Rhode Island. Um, I actually have ODU as the mark two. Not Furman. (laughs) Just because of the revenge factor? Yeah, that's exactly why. I think they're going to come out and play with a lot of heart. And then for Georgia, Georgia Tech... All right, so you have Rhode Island, ODU, Furman, and then Georgia Tech. Yeah, and uh, I love, you know, Collins, I think, is a great hire there. But, I mean, we all know they're going, yeah, triple option to, like, a traditional offense is going to be very difficult. So for my wins, most likely I went Rhode Island, Furman, ODU was third. And then I put UNC. And I did waffle between Georgia Tech and UNC. And I'm kind of banking on the fact that Mac Brown will just be a complete dumpster fire when he actually has to start coaching football games. It's all well and good now. He's glad handing the boosters and getting all the recruits and blah, blah, blah. When he actually has to coach the the team, and I know he hired some good assistants, I don't think it's going to go very well for UNC. So I put UNC as my fourth most likely win right behind ODU. Let's move to the losses. Um. So... Both of us have Notre Dame, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, I, got, I get Notre Dame. One. They look pretty good. 
and they actually will be coming off a bye week, which I didn't actually see before when I looked at the schedule. And that's and then they have a bye week and then like a Michigan game and then us. So it, like that gives me hope that we can actually win that game, but it's still they they're legit this year. Yeah, we're we're coming off a bye, right? Going Yeah, into yeah. Game. No, I meant they're going bye to Michigan, which is going to be a huge game for them. That's going to be massive yeah. to us. So I, that gives me hope, but not that much hope. I mean, I think they're actually a really good team this year. Then Miami, I actually had Miami and then BC and then Pitt were my next okay. three. Wow, you didn't put UVA in your top four most uh, likely losses. I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm legitimately not that worried about the game this year. Like, I, I, wow. I know that sounds stupid. And that I'm makes all, me feel good. That makes me feel good. <laughs> I I put Notre Dame one, and I do think we're going to beat Miami. I I had this weird feeling, but when I look at the talent they have and just that defense and everything, I still put them second. And I don't know. I maybe maybe I should have dropped them lower, but whatever. I have them a second. I have UVA third as a most likely loss, just because I I fear that defense. That defense scares me this year. And fourth, I have Pitt. Yeah, <laughs> because Pitt is just—they're a pain in our butt. Yeah, it's like Narduzzi. They, they just are. <laughs> Historically, under Narduzzi and Fuente, like the first two games are really close, and we happen to win both of them. But the last one, they slaughtered us. And Narduzzi, I—I want to think that he's an awful coach, but like so, he—you know—he beat Clemson, and then he won the division. Like. I, I don't know. Like maybe he's not as horrible as I think. So I put Pitt at four and that's, it is weird because last year we had that FSU game, game one. I felt super good about beating FSU, even if I didn't feel great about the rest of the year. That's kind of how I feel about Miami. Like I kind of think we're going to beat Miami, but going there, it, it just doesn't usually treat us well. So I still put them at our, at our second one. So now we're going to move into the record predictions, and I guess just from that you can kind of see what's what's in the middle of the of the pack. For me, it was Georgia Tech, Duke, BC, and Wake. For you, you had UVA in that middle ground, and I guess UNC, Duke, and Wake. Yes, that's my middle ground. Is the BC is only because it's the first game. If it was game five then i would be fine with it so that's like it's really only a first game jitter kind of situation um so i'm really only worried about a little bit about uva pit just because it's pit um notre dame and miami yeah so i think you you got that right all right so i'll go first with my record prediction and then i'll let you go i was 10 and 2 in july i moved it to 9 and 3 two podcasts ago and after going through this again, every position group with a fine tooth comb, I'm going to stay at nine and three. Like I said before, this team, for as much talent, as much upside as they have, they need to learn to be consistent. If the consistency is there, there's definitely potential for more. I just, if the consistency is not there, it could swing back the other direction and we can win seven games. That So there's going to be a lot of close games on this on the schedule. I know I put UNC as my fourth hardest, but uh, UNC is my fourth most likely win, but that could have easily moved like three spots back towards a loss. So it, it's, it's close. The, the coin flip games, 
There's probably four or five of them. And uh, I feel good about nine and three, but it could it could be lower, it could be higher. Robbie, what do you got? Uh, I I moved mine, and you know people are probably laughing because this always tends to happen with me. Once we get closer to the podcast and the season, I have us uh, beating Boston College. Um, you'll be there, so you get to watch it in person. Yeah, man, I I'm, I'm looking forward to going to your bar, Marianne's, <laughs> in uh, just a week and a half now. Mary Marianne's, you have if you don't hit it, it's gonna be that's gonna be trouble because you only that's that's once in a lifetime, and it's only once in a lifetime because you only want to go there once. Uh, then you rattle off, I think ODU, Furman, Duke. Uh, I I do think we beat Miami, and the reason I think we beat Miami is because of our wide receiver talent. Uh, I think that that is actually going to be the difference in the game. They have a great defense, and I think we're going to have a great wide receiving core, and that's going to make it a really close game. I'm not saying that in any case it's going to be a blowout, but I think that's what's going to give us an advantage there. You have Rhode Island. UNC, now we're at the point of the season that Mac Brown might actually have his feet underneath him. You know, they might know what they're doing. So that game is a little bit tricky. Um, Notre Dame, I have us taking the loss. And then I have us, win- I have us winning um, basically against a mix of, with, with one loss against Wake, GT, or, or Pitt. I don't know where. And then beating UVA. Is is where I have so I I actually have a set ten and two now, um, and I think I think this team really should be ten and two. It also, I know. So you kind of think there's potential for a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and O, oh, then a loss to Notre Dame, and then maybe a loss right then to Wake. Yeah. And then win the rest the next. I mean, couple. Wake's a good team. I mean, let's be honest. The Georgia Tech yeah. game. We have. I'm not worried about Georgia Tech. I'm more worried about the Wake and the Pitt game. I hate Narduzzi, but they're well coached teams that have given us, you know, trouble. And Wake oh, especially yeah. is a very well coached team. So that the, I think we could drop a stupid W there. But I, unlike other people, I actually think we'll get the W against Miami. And then drop another stupid yeah. one other, otherwise. And then, unlike other people, except for, yeah, I was just talking about that. You yeah. know, this is, we're, we're on the same wavelength yeah. here because, but how did you feel about the FSU game last year? Cause I think it's, it's similar. Like you got this talented team and we're not supposed to win. And, and who knows what will happen five weeks from now? They could have lost three games. Like we could have lost three games. Who knows? But I do feel good about that game oddly. I, maybe I shouldn't have ranked it as number two. On my most likely losses, but they are they are good. They do have talent, and I do think Manny Diaz, although he leveled up to a power five coaching position, having done nothing in, in reality, like he was supposed to be the head coach at Temple this year, and he leveled up because they fired Mark Rick. Yeah. So, is he ready for that spotlight? If he's not, it could be a disaster. If he is, it could make that really tough to beat them down there. The Miami game just it really doesn't concern me with Manny Diaz. I th- I think he's a really good coach, I, and I think they could be a really good team and a really good defense. But I, I I honestly, for whatever weird reason, just like the FSU game, I'm not worried about it. Just like you said. Oh yeah, you had some money on that FSU game too. I did, and I won. Uh, <laughs> I won money on that game. <laughs> Uh, the, the last thing I just want to make a note on the schedule because so Robbie's going 10 and two I'm going nine and three but that Virginia game 
they're three weeks before us. They play GT at home. Then they have a bye. Then they play Liberty at home. And then they play us. So like it, it cannot get any easier for UVA before they play us. We play Notre Dame, Wake, Georgia Tech, and Pitt before we play at UVA. Five straight games after our bye week. Not a murderer's row, but nothing to sneeze at. And they get to play GT by Liberty and us. Yeah. Like they are going to be ready. Again, this is, it, it seems like we do this every year. Last year we said it if you can't beat us this year, it ain't going to happen. Well, based on this schedule and with Perkins as your starting QB, if you can't beat us after having a bye and then Liberty and then, and then us in your own house, it ain't going to happen. Yep. So I, I hope we can make it 16 in a row. Do you want to talk a little bit about that Miami? Florida line absolutely game on Saturday so the line is seven and a half the number eight ranked Florida Gators are the favorite Robbie who you got this will be like the tiebreaker since we're not putting it into uh into the website for for picks Uh, so it'll be I have Miami absolutely uh covering this I, I don't know that they can win but I think the Florida hype train has gotten a little out of control. I think Miami's defense is really good. Florida has been touting. I think Miami's defense is actually better than Florida's. I, I'm. I know Miami is marching out a new quarterback, but I think they can keep this within a field goal or a touchdown. Honestly, and especially when you're playing at Disney World, that's um, that's always you know key. That you know, there's no there's no home. Home advantage there. <laughs> this is really a tough one, man, because I want to take Miami because I think it'll be a little bit of a defensive battle and it could end up 17-14 or something weird like that. But Miami let me down so bad against LSU last year in the opener. And again, they this quarterback, I, I'm sure he's better than Malik Rozier, uh, but maybe not much. And so I'm going to take you UF. Just go the opposite. I'm going to take you up against the spread. Um, Let's hit the most imp- well, No, we got to hit about the most that Hawaii game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I almost forgot. The Hawaii game. You wanted to talk about the spread on that one. I don't even know if I have this. Is 11. it 11 and a half? It's 11 yeah, okay. uh, that I pulled okay. off of uh, where where I lay down bets. Uh, Hawaii and, at home against Arizona, right? That's right. And I, I bet Hawaii the first game of last year won that bet. Um, Hawaii just comes out and nobody really expects anything against them. Granted, I, f- I forget who they played, but it was somebody trash last year. So this isn't the exact same exact same thing. I'm hundred percent. It's at it's at Hawaii. I'm taking Hawaii on on, on the points. I think they can keep this within a touchdown. Absolutely. 11 point dogs at home, right? Yes. I'm going to take the Rainbow Warriors. I love it. I'm going to take them too. <laughs> hey, we can cheer and let's stomp our knees and, and we can do all the things that they do. You know, it'll be perfect. As the, as the Samoans do. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for our season preview podcast. I hope you made it all the way to the end. Uh, by the time I cut this up, I don't know how long it'll be, but it's been pretty long and we wanted to go through every position. We do this every year. We try to get through everything, all the things that we have heard leading up to the season. We try to bring to you in a consolidated format every year. Maybe it grows by a minute or two, but, but that's okay. Hopefully you made it to the end. Make sure to sign up for our pick them. Uh, we're going to be tweeting out the link 
in the next few days. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. 2DVT.com is the website, at 2DVT on Twitter and Instagram, and 2DVT at gmail.com is the website. Any parting thoughts, Robbie? (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm so excited. We get to start talking about football and not all this other stuff. So uh, we, me and the wife are actually going to, we're, we're dropping the kiddo at Kids Club on Saturday or with my mom so we can watch the Miami-Florida game. I know there's been trash talk about who cares about that game. Guess what? It's college football, and I am pumped about it. So we are so close to real yeah, football. Me and, me and the wife are also planning a, a night out to watch some of the game. So I, I, um, I too just care that it's any college football. <laughs> I just want to have my my eyes in front of it. Uh, and one more podcast from us before the season kicks off. That's what you'll be getting. And that will be our Boston College preview. When we'll dig into everything that they've been doing in the offseason, their S&P ranks, what they're projected at, all that kind of thing. So you only have to hear us one more time before we actually have football to evaluate. So that'll be nice for you as well. <laughs> Until next time, go Hokies. <laughs>